we have uh, issues in life, troubles, problems, uh, and the best of us do. And the most faith-filled, spiritually mature of us have issues that we face. We have got issues with our family. We've got issues with kids. We've got issues with spouses. We've got issues with, with even, you know, concerns about grandkids and, and, and all those kinds of things. We've got issues sometimes with our jobs and our workplaces and coworkers and stuff like that. Sometimes we've got issues with our physical body. And when I say issues, I'm talking about like serious stuff. I'm talking about this kind of stuff that weighs down on your heart that becomes such an impediment that sometimes can even make you feel disconnected from God because you think your issues are an indicator that, that there's something wrong between the two of us, me and God. Uh, we, we have issues. And uh, what I believe is on the heart of the Lord is to equip us to navigate through issues biblically because Jesus is with us in the issues. This is not to say that we obviously will be exempted from issues. If we're really trusting the Bible, we won't have issues. No, you're going to have problems. <laughs> you know, Jesus actually said in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, but it doesn't mean you don't have trouble. You're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, which, which says to me that he is victorious and has the ability to lead us through the troubles that we will have in ways that we end up not being defeated, but victorious. Now, how, let's define what it means to be victorious. That means victory in God's kingdom is his kingdom coming, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's victory. Not me getting the Lamborghini that I want. You know what I'm saying? Not, not whatever I want. It's, it's his will being accomplished because he's worthy. And if there's anything that was lost at the fall, it was the connection between earth and heaven. And in the new covenant, we are ambassadors of heaven into the earth. And we're going to face troubles as we are ambassadors. We're going to face some issues. And we're going to face issues that are above and beyond our ability to, to deal with especially if you're following Jesus. It's going to be beyond yourself. And so I want to hope that in the next few minutes we can kind of find some equipping on how to walk through this stuff. And let me just say a couple things on the front end that are very, very important. Firstly, let me point out, we tend as humans to be what I call dualistic. It's like we have a struggle to hold in tension truths that are mutually and simultaneously true because we want things to either be black or white. So let me give you an example. It's like Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And most church wants to be one or the other. He's either grace or he's truth. Romans, uh, Paul in the book of Romans says, behold the kindness and severity of God. Most church wants him to either be kind or to be severe. <laughs> How many of you ever been in one of the severe churches, by the way? You know, that fire and brimstone thing. So it's, it's either or, and yet in the scripture, somehow it is both and. It's God is multifaceted, and we have to have a capacity to see the various aspects of God and see how they're beautifully and wonderfully held in tension. And oftentimes in church, it's either prosperity, God's only intentions for us is what feels good and meets my needs, or it's like suffering, and suffering is always the will of God, and in the will of God, we are going to, as we follow Jesus, suffer. We're going to have suffering. 
But there is a suffering that results from my steps of obedience. And then there's a suffering that's just common to all people because we live in a fallen world. There's also, in addition to that, suffering that is an attack of a spiritual enemy who wants to thwart God's promises. All of those things, if, if we're walking through suffering and it's a result of our obedience, uh, it may just be the cost of our obedience. And it's usually seasonal, uh, but it's just a reality. You don't want to cast it out. It's just part of the equation. But if there are issues that are impeding God's will, that's in another category that the people of God should be resisting and fighting back and, and, uh, and fighting and, and trusting God through it. Uh, so that's just one thing I want to say on the front end. Second thing is that suffering is for our faith to grow. Suffering has a way of providing an opportunity for our faith to grow. How it won't grow is... Here's two ways that it won't grow. One is we can develop a theology to try to match our experience. Because our experience doesn't match things that we have thought, and so we have to redevelop a theology to match our experience. I have, and if I'm honest, I know some preachers, some, some theologians, who I would consider way more intelligent than me way more learned and studied than me, who have come to a theology with regards to suffering that doesn't even, to me, line up with Scripture. Or even spiritual gifts, you know. We, uh, so I don't want to go into that. But So it is possible sometimes for us to yield to the temptation because our experience doesn't match this doctrine that we throw the doctrine out and we, we create theology to match our experience experience should never create our theology. The Word of God creates our theology. We don't look at the Bible through the prism of what we've experienced. We look at what we've experienced through the prism of the Word of God. And if we haven't experienced something that lines up with the Word of God, it doesn't mean the Word of God isn't true. It, it, it means we just haven't seen it yet. And we continue to trust in the Word of God. So our, uh, we're not going to grow in faith if we're trying to recreate theology and also, sometimes we can believe theology, the, the, the doctrine's right, but we go into troubles and we just kind of abort w- what we know we're supposed to do. So instead of keeping our heart pressing into the Lord, because it's hard. How many of you know pressing into the Lord sometimes is hard when you're battling some stuff? Anybody ever experienced that? You just want to coddle yourself. You just want to feel sorry for yourself sometimes. Sometimes you just want to complain. And you know what? Scripturally, if you read the life of King David, because this is another thing, like the charismatic church sometimes doesn't allow you to complain, doesn't allow you to feel bad. Let me, let me just tell you, King David went through some stuff and he complained. He was pouring his soul out. So I'm not saying that we can't do that. However, the conclusion of the matter needs to be that our gaze is fixed upon the Lord in the end. And, and remembering where our help comes from. So, 
the, so we can't create a theology to match our experience, but we also can't just allow ourselves to get into this place of complaining, woe is me, and that kind of thing, because your faith won't grow if that's your response. And that's the goal through suffering is that your faith would grow. How will your faith grow? Well, we looked at a couple things last week. One would be that in the trial that we come to Jesus— Another thing would be that we decide in the trial, in the trouble, what are we going to believe according to the word of God and what are we expecting according to the word of God. Thirdly would be that we decide what are we going to speak in the middle of the trial according, again, to the word of God. Today I want to look at trusting in Jesus and not yourself. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. I want to look at, uh, we're going to look at holding on to the principles of the word. And you'll understand that in a minute. And that will be Matthew chapter 13. A few verses from that chapter. And then we're going to look at continuing in faith and action from Hebrews chapter 6. You ready? So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, again, trust in Jesus and not yourself. As you're going through issues, trust in Jesus and not yourself. Uh, my friends, sometimes we, when we're going through problems, we can hit some low patches and some dark spaces of the soul. And I have found in my life that, that when that's happening, most of the time, it is because my gaze of my heart is actually on myself as my savior, as opposed to Jesus. It's, it's unconscious. It's not like I'm aware that I'm doing that, but I'm feeling overwhelmed because I know within myself I'm not able to deal with this problem by myself, and it leaves me with a hopeless feeling. Trust. Let your trust be anchored in Jesus, and it is very much like a weight room if you've ever lifted weights. <laughs> if you haven't, I think maybe we should. Just throwing that out there. That's, 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 that's free. But if you know anything about weights, you go into a weight room, you grow muscle by resistance. It's pushing against weight. As you're doing a bench press, your muscles are growing because you're pushing over and over and over and over. And by the way, how many of you know, hopefully some of you do know because you've been to the gym, that when you go to the gym once, as much as a fantastic workout that you do, you don't necessarily leave that place buff. You can go for a week and you're still not buff. It takes a, a, it's a season of pressing and it's actually, usually you have to take photos. I've never really done it, but I see guys taking photos and they see the progress because you don't even see the progress every week. It's so small. It's very similar in the spirit. And we lose heart in the fight. We lose heart in the press. And so to trust in Jesus, not ourselves. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father, uh, verse 3. Did I say that? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. I want you to hear that. We're talking about some problems, and God in our problems wants to, is, wants to present himself as the God of all comfort. Verse 4. Who comforts us, in our tribulation. That word tribulation expanded in the English would mean pressing, pressure, anguish, burden, trouble. I would like to ask you to consider what are your pressings right now in life. What is your pressures? What are your anguishes? What are your burdens? What are your troubles? 
because he who, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of that stuff, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I don't know if you tracked those words that I just read, but Paul is recognizing that he's come to a place to know that in his trouble, his trouble is wired for him to find comfort from God that is not readily apparent. It's pressing into the Lord that there is a God of consolation that you can find. And that the purpose is, yes, for you to be comforted, but on the back end, you're able to comfort others with what you have been comforted by. That is huge in your trouble to recognize the pattern. Once you start seeing it, I've seen it over and over in my life. I walk through on the other side with stuff in my arsenal to give to others to help them. And it makes the whole thing worth it. So, verse 5, for as, take note of that word, as, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, as meaning that in proportion to, in the same way, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. You ever felt like the sufferings of Christ abound in you? You know, and some of these faith, I don't want to make fun of people, but these, anyways, like the name it and claim it of people. Like, when do we ever name and claim the sufferings of Christ abounding in us? Because that's also scriptural. <laughs> For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. What he's saying is to the degree the sufferings of Christ presently are abounding in you, the same degree there is consolation from the Lord to encourage you in it. You don't necessarily just have it at your disposal. It's found in the pressing in. It's found in the seeking and allowing your trouble to become the impetus to dive deeper and to seek him to get the help that you need. So receive that right now, that promise. Verse 6. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. He's caught under the picture. I suffer stuff so that I can help others ultimately, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. I might want to say to us this morning, in our suffering, in our challenges right now, who might one day be helped because of what we have to give to them if we will walk with Jesus and find him in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this trial and test? Verse 7, ah, no, or if we are comforted, verse 6, it is for your consolation and salvation. Verse 7, and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were, listen to this, that we were burdened beyond measure. You ever felt that way? Burdened beyond measure? Beyond the ability to measure the burden. Let's continue reading. Above strength. In other words, the burden, the trouble that I'm carrying is beyond my strength. I don't have the resource to deal with this problem. So that we despaired even of life. Hmm. 
The Apostle Paul said that. He had lost something of the drive to live. When we, Minda and I, planted this church uh, from a wonderful church in Johannesburg, South Africa, surrounded by wonderful friends, not only in the church, but in all these NCMI partnering churches throughout Johannesburg and South Africa, the best friends that we've ever had in our lives still to this day. They're just the most amazing people. And we were flying high and our kids were doing good and God's saying, you're going to go back to America now. I'm calling you to plant a church in Detroit. And our eldership team are all in agreement with it. And the members of the NCMI team are cheering us on in agreement with it. There's a church in the suburbs of Detroit that says, you want to plant in the city? We want to plant in the city. We want to help you. And it looked like the red carpet baby, we're going to go back to America and we're going to, we're going to be in our home country again. And we, by, that was, we moved here, relocated in, in uh, October of 2016. By two years later, we were, had experienced significant and hurtful rejection from those that we thought we were going to walk with us. There wasn't really a whole clear plan on how the partnership with the mega church, not that they were not great, wonderful people, but it was kind of like didn't really materialize as far as the partnership in any kind of a clear way. We had stepped out believing that we had this great partnership with this mega church, and, and that wasn't really fully a reality so much. Uh, we had left all of our closest friends, which t- has an emotional toll on you. I mean, it just does. And we were underwriting with our own bankroll the cost of the church for the most part, lost all of our savings, and now we're at a place where it was like the edge of a waterfall. I mean, we are about, like, we are suffering ruin for responding to the Lord's call in obedience. Do you know what that feels like? Like, ruin. I'm not talking about, like, kind of, boy, this is difficult. I'm talking about our ship was sinking. And uh, emotionally, finance, everything. And uh, I found myself, for the first time in my adult life, where I found myself crying and, like, sobbing. Like, driving in the car. And it would just, like, overwhelm me. Exactly like what the Apostle Paul saying beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. The last time I had cried from pain was when I was 17, and I, you're going to think I'm really cool now, but I, I cut the tip of my finger off in a lawnmower, and I cried. That was the last time I cried from any kind of negative thing. Every time I cried for the next 10, 20 years after that was all because of like a movie touching me or the presence of God and worship touching me. Sobbing. I began to feel... Uh, a sensation in my body of wanting to be low during this time. And I would find myself, Minda can actually say, like there were t- I'd get out of my chair in our living room and I would lie down on the ground and the ground wasn't low enough. And it was like I just wanted to go down. And now in retrospect, I know that there was, it was like there was an urge inside of me that wanted to be swallowed up by the earth. In other words, I wanted to get out of this, like, life. I'm not talking about, uh, now, I have never been diagnosed clinically depressed. I've never been suicidal. Even then, I don't feel like I was suicidal, but I 
it, exactly what the Apostle Paul said. I was despairing even of life. By the grace of God, somehow I was still hearing the voice of God for us as a church and still preaching and that kind of thing. But what I'm saying is there was abandonment from people. There were promises made by people that were not followed through. There was it, and it felt ultimately like we had been abandoned by God. Big time. And in that suffering, I found, and I'm not going to even get into the details of it, but I found a, a, a God of consolation that began to speak to my heart and cause my heart to, to speak of, of better things and speak of things that we actually ended up walking in a few years later and seeing manifest. And let me repeat that. A few years later. This is, you grab a hold of God doesn't mean everything changes in a minute. There's a pressing. Go back to the gym. Work out again. Go back to the gym. Work out again. Let's also do some of these movements. Why don't we do some of this as well, right? Where you keep pressing. And it's not like three years later you're going to get your consolation. You'll get your consolation now but God will lead you through victory. And by the time, and, and if your circumstances are going to change, in our case, they had to change because if they didn't change, we would be toast. There's like no option. Like either we go under or, but if your circumstances change, the true prize ends up being what you receive in the spirit. So verse nine, or no, verse, yeah, verse nine Listen to this. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but God. I want you to hear that. That's, this is, if there's a message, there it is. Not trust in yourselves but in God. The problems that we face are wired to bring us to the end of ourselves. And if you feel like that's where you've been brought, be of good cheer. There is a God of consolation who is way bigger than the problem. You may not see that right now. You may feel like you're abandoned. He is bigger than the problem. But he allows us to go to, into situations that we do not have resource or whatever it may be to be able to see our way through. That's when you're at the end of yourself that you're able and desperate enough to receive what, how he wants to lead you. And that is going to grow your faith. You walk through that, you walk through the same thing later, and it doesn't even phase you because I've been there, done that. I found God in that place. I, I'm not, it doesn't intimidate me. It doesn't scare me. I reign and rule with Christ in that place. It grows your faith. But check this out because what I just said, that scripture we just read, so good. Not trust in yourselves, but God. You know, if I could just say, if you look at yourself, what are you going to see? You're going to see insufficiency. You're going to see imperfection. You're going to see unsureness. And all of that's going to cause you to not have hope. But if you look to Jesus, what are you going to see? You're going to see victory. You're going to see love. You're going to see absolute steadfast sureness. You're going to see promises. And all of that is going to give you hope. Now listen to this. Let's read that scripture again. Verse 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. 
there's an important message in that. He didn't just say trust not in yourselves but in God. God who raises the dead. In other words, God, there's something of the resurrection of Jesus according to the scripture that wants to tell you and me we're going to face problems, tribulations, and the resurrection power of God is there to say that he can bring to life the worst of what this earth can toss your way. God can work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to purpose. What the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. He is the God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death and does deliver us, present tense, and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, future tense, So when you walk through these things, the press with God and have your faith grown by by grabbing a hold of God in the midst of the problem, you see the deliverance. It becomes your testimony. That births faith, just like it did with the Apostle Paul, to then say, you know what? He delivered me, and he is delivering me. I still have issues now today, but you know what? I've seen him deliver me, and I know not only is he delivering me, he is going to deliver me into the future. He is faithful, and you walk through the press, my friends, and it builds your faith for every battle that you're going to be fighting into the future. So trust in God, not yourself. Can I just encourage you, in your battle, I would suggest, I spoke to my friend Steve Sudworth, who pastors the church in Chicago. He's been here, and he's been through some battles unthinkable of, over the past season. And he says, every day I recite Psalm 23 to myself in the face of the stuff that I'm dealing with. And I would encourage all of you, if you're facing battles that are enormous, there's something powerful about that psalm. Maybe if you don't know it, can I just read it to us? Is that cool? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You start reciting that, and you'll find yourself, you're going to start preaching it to yourself. You're going to start having a Pentecostal revival eventually. You keep on doing that, and it it will... It is, does something. Secondly, hold on to the principles of the word. God's word is a seed. Uh, Peter talks about that, the apostle Peter. Matthew chapter 13, which we should turn to now, shows us that God's word is a seed, which is very significant. When you have an apple tree, and an apple falls to the ground, there's seed inside of an apple, The seed inside of that apple is a very small thing, but when planted in the ground and given the light and the water that it needs and the proper soil nutrients, 
it has the genetic potential inside of it to grow up not only to another apple, but to an entire other fruit-bearing apple tree, right? God, Jesus, refers to the word of God, the revelation of the word of God, as a seed that it's planted inside of your heart. Your heart is the soil, which is to say that the word of God planted into your heart, the idea is that it has the genetic code and potential of starting very small. You don't even see the seed of the word of God with your eyes as it enters into your heart. But if you nurture it, if it gets the light, the water that it needs, the soil, it has the genetic potential to grow into a manifestation of the kingdom from which it came. The manifestation of the character and nature of Jesus himself. That, that's powerful. That process has resistance in this earth. And as we are maturing in our faith, we need to hold on, cling to the principles of the word of God. Cling to them because they will be tested severely. So troubles can come to stop God's word from being fruitful, but troubles also operate as a cocoon to cause yourself to bear fruit. So if you, classic illustration, maybe you've never heard it, I don't know, but you know a caterpillar goes through a metamorphosis to see, to become a butterfly, right? Such a great picture. But that caterpillar spins its cocoon and goes into it and it becomes shut and inside it makes this metamorphosis into the, the butterfly. What we don't know because we don't see inside the cocoon is that when that caterpillar has become a butterfly and now it has wings, the next step and final step of its progress is it has to press against the boundaries of that cocoon. And apparently scientists would tell us that the press is so hard because its wings are nowhere close to having the strength to press through the structure of the cocoon. It loses so much energy it feels like it's going to die. And it has to keep on pressing against the walls of that cocoon, which form the strength to where eventually it breaks through. It's in the pressing that it, it, it without which, if it were to leave that cocoon, it would not have the ability to fly. And the same thing is true of you and me. That word of God is planted inside of our hearts, but there's a pressing clinging, engaging our faith in the things that God has spoken to our heart, even when the winds come and the things blow against that. And it wants to get us to compromise on the word of God. It's clinging to the word of God, holding fast in the middle of that thing to where eventually you become so strong in that press of the word of God that you actually, the word of God ends up overtaking the resistance. And so let's look at this. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus has already said the parable, but in verses 18 through 22, 3, he is explaining the parable. Verse 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. You see how the seed is the word of God and it's sown in your heart. Let's take from that verse First of all, the knowledge that every time the seed of God's word is sown into our heart, the enemy wants to come and take it away. You are not exempted from that. 
But let's go on to the next. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Let's go on to the next verse. But he received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. <laughs> can, I, can I name it and claim this? that when the word of God comes, there is going to be tribulation and persecution that comes against the word that was sown in your heart. It seems so wonderful in the moment that you receive God's word into your heart. It brings joy. You're excited. You feel buoyant. You feel like you can take the earth. And then you go into the real world and you find, I've got a whole lot of doubt and unbelief about actually really believing this thing and walking it out. And there's a, strong enemy that seems to want to fight against this thing and it's just easy to forget straight away the word that was sown into your heart and just go back to the way you were. That's the way this thing works. Beware of trials getting you to cast off the truth that you have had revealed to your heart. So I could maybe ask us some questions. And just let's answer these honestly within our own heart. Am I compromising what the word of God says to make my situation lighter? To make it lighter? If so, trust, be encouraged this morning to trust in and lean on God and his word. And find the strength to hold on to his word. Verse 22 now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So there's not necessarily, in this case, trials and tribulations, persecution coming for the word now. It's the cares of the world. It's the, the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of our natural needs that causes sometimes obedience to the word will mean that we have to take risk or that we have to do things that aren't going to facilitate what looks like our needs being met. The cares of this world. Sometimes it can just mean I am overburdened at work and uh, I've got to draw a boundary to make sure that the word of God and the will of God is being done and not just some other tyranny taking over my life or whatever the case may be. That whatever the, tyr- the, the, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. So maybe some questions. Are we relinquishing our faith stance in the middle of those things? Are we dropping truth in order to tend to the natural and the urgent? The encouragement this morning would be to deal with your natural needs. It's not like the cares of this world, those things don't matter, they do. Deal with them without compromising, ripping onto the word. Verse 23, but he receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, that's the whole point, bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Just want to encourage you, that whatever God has revealed to your heart and spoken into your heart has the intention from his side of it bearing fruit. And we don't see that when we're going through the resistance. 
We don't see it. We just feel like God has abandoned us. No, he's giving us opportunity to exercise faith in, with what he has put into our heart so that we can see fruit born in the future. Thirdly and lastly, and the smallest one, I know you guys are like, this, this one is the smaller one. Continue in faith and action. So this is what I would say. It's when, and we've kind of already said this, but it's faith and patience. Sometimes we want faith to produce immediate results, and if it doesn't produce immediate results, well, faith must not be the thing. That must not work. Faith and patience. Patience. I've been here in Detroit planting a church for eight years. Seven and a half. (laughs) Does that make you feel better? Let's just say eight, man. Standing, convinced of things that we are not seeing with our physical eyes. Convinced of it. And if it means I need to change course in the midst of it or change how we're doing it or whatever, I know God has led us, but it's a long time. So I'm being vulnerable and just saying, hey, man, I'm in a journey just like you. There's stuff that I'm contending for that I'm not seeing with my physical eyes. It's faith and patience. So if you would, just look with me at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I hope that's true of all of us. And we desire that each one of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. There it is. You see the press, the resistance, the continued assertion of your faith that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises my friends once again let's name it and claim it again this morning at this journey of faith there's going to be a wearying every bit as much and more so perhaps of the wearying that you feel in the gym by the end of that workout man you're you're done you're sweaty and you're you know, you got that, those squat legs, you know, where like you feel like they're like wobble, you know, you kind of step and this thing of, of, of the walk of faith does have an element of wearying as you can, if it didn't, then the apostle wouldn't need to tell us to continue in full assurance until the end and remind us that it's faith and patience that inherit the promises. And so, What does it look like or mean to not become sluggish? I would say these two things. One is to continue to seek his will and do it in the middle of it. It, it, What I mean by that is as you're going through the press, you don't reach that place where you stop kind of coming to him every day and looking to him and God and looking to his guidance and looking to what he's saying to you today, looking for uh, wisdom from the word, looking for, for his leading of, your, of his spirit, even day after day, just keep doing it. And whatever things he directs you, he doesn't give you directive every single day, but when the things that he does put on your heart that you continue to take action and do it. On the front end of the journey, you may feel like you've got a full tank of gas ready to go, but there will come times where you feel like stopping doing that. I don't want to pray. I don't want to seek the Lord. I just want to feel better right now. 
and you continue to look and do what he's saying. If you, if you look at verse 10 real quick, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. It's actions. It's not just believing. There are, there's response of, of actions that's involved here that we should not let go of and become sluggish in. So it's, it's, it's continuing. And then secondly, remember it is his will that leads to the promise. Yeah, so it's, 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 uh, it's, what I mean by that is you continue to seek his will every day. It's putting your trust that I want to see the promise, but I, but, but can I say it this way? My faith, like as in my, my faith is not going to get to the promise. It, my faith is in him and He's the one with the leadership and direction. And if I can continue to look to him for his and obey, it's his will that leads to the promise. I hope that makes sense. It's not my faith. My faith is faith in him. Evidenced by surrendering my life to his leadership. He brings me into the promise. And you continue in that. And my friends, you will gain, we will gain a depth of intimacy with Jesus through that process, that will make all of it worth it. And then when after you say it's all been worth it, there's even more. You'll find yourself ministering power to other people. And then you'll be like, give me more suffering. <laughs> okay, maybe that's a bit much. <laughs> but maybe, maybe not that. But, but, but Paul did say, I have learned to boast in my tribulations because I know that's where his strength is perfected, in my weakness. So I would like to just uh, offer an opportunity for us to, well, let's pray. And if you want prayer this morning, I want to offer an opportunity for you just to have somebody pray with you and lay hands upon you. I was going to ask Mickey and Peter in just a second if they would join me and be available.